Hey there, friends. It's Nick. So yesterday I read you the first couple of paragraphs from The High Window, which is Raymond Chandler's third novel about his famous 1940s or so private investigator in California, uh, Philip Marlowe. And we, what we heard yesterday was this description of this house, this house of a rich client. And a couple of chapters later, what we get is the other side of this story, which is Marlowe's own situation when he goes back to his, his office, which is in the Cahunga building, uh, I guess somewhere in Los Angeles, although honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure at this stage, but I want to read a couple of paragraphs again from the start of chapter three, where what we're seeing is this, this contrast. So we've had the very rich, expensive, wealthy house that started off chapter one. This is Marlowe's two-room office, basically, which he has on the sixth floor of this building. I looked into the, the reception room. It was empty of everything but the smell of dust. I threw up another window, unlocked the communicating door, and went into the room beyond. Three hard chairs and a swivel chair, flat desk with a glass top, five green filing cases, three of them full of nothing, a calendar and a framed license bond on the wall, a phone, a washboard in a stained wood cupboard, a hat rack, a carpet that was just something on the floor, and two open windows with net curtains that puckered in and out, like the lips of the toothless old man sleeping. The same stuff I had had last year and the year before that. Not beautiful, not gay, but better than a tent on the beach. I hung my hat and coat on the hat rack, washed my face and hands in the cold water, lit a cigarette and hoisted the phone book back onto the desk. And he's off. He's going to start his investigation. And there's a big contrast, obviously, in both of these passages from yesterday and today. Chandler is doing a lot of straight description. You know, there's nothing particularly evocative about this. Um, three hard chairs and a swivel chair, flat desk with a glass top, five green filing cases. But then there's this line after, sorry, yeah, five green filing cases, three of them full of nothing, which is obviously an ox oxymoron, full of nothing. But it's a bit like that first, the end of that first line. Um, it was empty of everything but the smell of dust. Now, these are really evocative kind of ideas because we all have that sense of um, somewhere that's sort of abandoned by humanity. There's not much traffic. Later on, when someone does actually turn up, when Marlowe first sees them, the guy, the person who's turned up has got a kind of a sneer on because he's, he's examining the dead magazines out in the waiting room. And, you know, there's a, there's a lovely kind of metaphor for the magazines we've all seen in the, I don't know, in the dentist office or something, things that have just been kicking around for months or even years. The magazines are dead. And here we've got these five green filing cases, most of which are empty. And the other, the other part I really love, um, so we get these, again, these great descriptions, um, a license bond on the wall, a phone, a wash bowl in a stained wood cupboard, a hat rack, and then this beauty, a carpet that was just something on the floor. A carpet that was just something on the floor. Isn't that an evocative idea? Because even though he's not describing the colour, we, we've all, we all get the idea. We get that sense. We've been around the kind of carpets in places where yeah, the carpet is also essentially dead. It's so old. It's so downtrodden. 
in every sense that that we can see we can see that kind of picture in our head. And I've talked about Chandler's use of description before when I talked about the Big Sleep a while ago, which is the first Marlowe book, of course, famously a, a Bogart film as well. But um, it's doing the same thing as we talked about yesterday. The the description of this space, which is uniquely connected to this character, this the, our hero, Marlowe, Philip Marlowe, but it's telling us something about his life, right? It's telling us something about him, about the state of his business or lack of it. And the fact that, you know, that the, the, the paragraph right at the end, the same stuff I had last year and the year before that. So there's not much change in Marlowe's situation, even though he's been involved in high-profile cases, even though it's a bit like, you know, it reminds me a lot of the strike books by J.K. Rowling, you know, where even though in the progression of, of those sort of five books to date, the, um, the progression is, you know, the, the cases that these two, our two heroes are getting involved in are, are bigger and bigger in some sense. They're still in the same cramped, crappy um, office off the Tottenham Court Road. And the same thing's true of Marlowe, right? You know, the, the, the spaces around these characters are relevant. The reason that, that Chandler is describing them is because they give us a different angle on the characters. And it's something that we can use in our own stories when we're talking about, um, you know, what we've done in business and the mistakes we've made. It's particularly, particularly relevant in my case, the mistakes we've made in business. We can talk about the things around those and the, um, because our audiences are clever and because we want them to do you know, a lot of the work themselves, that's how we create stories that are engaging, right? We're not spoon feeding people. We're giving them the information so that they can draw their own conclusions. And in both these cases, uh, the, the house on, um, what's it, Aven Dresden Avenue yesterday and this, the office in the Kahunga building, they are both giving us information that allows us to draw our own conclusions. When we hear that three of the five filing cabinets are empty. We don't have to be told that Marlowe's business isn't particularly do, doing well. When we hear that the, the carpet is just something on the floor, we don't need to understand. We don't need to be told explicitly that, that he's not making a lot of money. It's right there. It's right there in the description. And because the audience is doing the work, it makes for a richer storytelling experience. Thanks for listening. And remember that your stories mean business. And if you're interested in digging deeper into all of this stuff, especially the psychology behind storytelling and the evolution behind, you know, why stories work so well. Search for story.business. Bye now.